This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM, KGVO. Missoula's News and Weather Station. Hey, welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Glad to have you along this morning on this Thursday edition of Talkback. Talkback is brought to you this morning by Brooklyn Bagel and Bakery, where they have those authentic, delicious New York bagels and pastries all the way from Little Italy, located out on North Reserve. Also brought to you by Phillips Janitorial, offering you residential and commercial cleaning. Now, uh, there's no job too big or small for Phillips Janitorial, so why not give them a call today at uh, 406-260-6617. The views and opinions expressed on TalkBack are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. And now, ladies and gentlemen, joining us uh, here in the studio, Speaker of the House, Nick Christensen. <laughs> yeah, I How's wish. it going, partner? Good, how are you? I'm doing fine. Uh, the the only bill you had was the bill of your cap, That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. your Callaway cap there. Yeah. yeah. So, so we we are expecting a call from Matt Regeer. He is the Speaker of the House of Representatives. Now, keep in mind they are very very busy. They are. I'm going to try to call. Yeah, you know, they, they are they are ab- absolutely shooting right down into the uh, the midpoint of the session, and uh, so I'm sure all sorts of things are going on rare right now at the Montana Legislature in Helena. So Nick is trying to get in touch with Matt, and we'll see if we can't uh, all take your phone calls as well at seven two one twelve ninety. So there you go. So we are. We're working on that right now. <laughs> uh, Matt, uh, of course, is a Republican. And, uh, of course, the, the Republicans have a supermajority in the House of Representatives this morning. And speaking of what's going on in the legislature today, at 10 o'clock this morning, I'm going to be zipping out of here real fast because Governor Greg Gianforte is going to be holding a press conference at 1030 right there in the state capitol. So we are hoping to uh, get some... Some coverage on that as well. Okay, they're 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 looking for Matt right now. They're grabbing him. They're grabbing him. Okay. <laughs> hey, you're supposed to be on the radio right now, young man. So, anyway, so by the by the way, if you would like to to talk with uh, the Speaker of the House, feel free to give us a call. Uh, we're expecting him any second. Uh, phone lines are open at seven two one twelve ninety. So, there you go. Ah. <sighs> People have been asking me, just on a personal note, hey, Peter, how come you you sound like you have a cold? What, what's going on with your voice? So, well, last week, if you remember, I had uh, some, some surgery, and uh, they had to intubate me. And so when you do that, kind of messes up the old vocal cords. So we're ev- eventually just kind of uh, getting back to normal. Uh, but I really appreciate all of your kind thoughts and uh, talking about that. So are we ready to go? All right. Speaker of the House, Matt Regeer. Matt, good morning, sir. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? We are doing fantastic. Thrilled to have you with us this morning, sir. Very, very busy, busy time. I understand right at this moment, uh, one of those bills, the facial recognition bill, is being heard by the Labor and uh, uh, labor and Industry Department there at the legislature. Is that right? Uh, that could very well be. I mean, no business. This is, so we are just one week away from transmittal. All bills right. have to be over uh, to the other chamber. So it, uh, there's a lot of bills being heard. Um, and I remember putting that one in. I, I did not know if it was being heard today or not. Okay, so, so tell us what's on your agenda. Obviously, lots going on here. Of course, we'll take some calls from our listeners as well. But uh, tell me the, the, the bills of most import that you're working on. Um, we've got a few. Um, a lot of them uh, go around freedom. Like we've got uh, patient bill of rights. Um, that was a big one um, that came up, and it probably came out of COVID. A lot of that of what, uh, who is in charge of uh, the patients? Are they in charge of their own health care? The medical providers. I mean, you saw a lot of medical providers even, uh, you know, not letting family in or or not fully disclosing. Uh, the the treatment to the patient. So there's a patient bill of rights. That's House Bill 376, and that passed out of House Judiciary. It's headed to the House floor. Um, uh, so that's uh, that's one big one. We do have uh, on the floor today. We're going to hear uh, the prohibition on uh, minors attending uh, drag shows in taxpayer funded uh, taxpayer funded buildings or establishments. And uh, I'm sure that one will get a lot of comments both ways. I mean, to me, it's pretty straightforward of a sex.
sexually explicit show, we shouldn't be having minors minors at that. Uh, but that's uh, that's uh, going to be a big conversation today. I'm sure it'll probably take us to cloture. It, it is it is interesting that that someone would feel strong enough about this to actually pass a bill in the legislature uh, when one would think you know parents don't, don't parents have the right to to complain about that to their local school districts? I mean, why why have to pass a bill to do this? Yeah, and that's what uh, and that's what we're seeing in uh, a lot of different uh, a lot of parents. I think we talked before of uh, just um, having obscene material out of schools. Schools had an exemption for that. We had a bill for that. Um, there's, um, uh, I think, there is an overall uh, movement uh, uh, for the next generation. And which way are we going to go as a society? Are we going to protect? Uh, protect our youth as we always have done in the past, especially from uh, sexually explicit material, whether that's in our schools or our taxpayer-funded buildings, as in, as in this. So, well, we don't want a sexually explicit show uh, inviting all ages. All right, we do have a caller on the line. Let's uh, get Harry on the line. Harry, good morning. You're on with Matt Regeer, the Speaker of the House. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, good morning. Yeah, uh, just real quick. First of all, just because a guy dresses in drag isn't uh, sexually explicit. But anyway, uh, I've been watching the uh, things on TV, the uh, committee meetings and all that, and all people, you know, get up and uh, talk one way or the other. But uh, I'm, it seems to me that the people or the people uh, in the committees or even at, on the Congress, they already pretty much have their minds made up, especially on the, the controversial or the... the uh, Ones that are you know politically charged, their things. So I are these do you do these uh, uh, people talking, giving their testimony? Does that really do anything, or is that just just because you have to? I, I know you can't speak for everybody, but so, for yourself so, so, personally. So, well, what I hear you I, asking, I do, Harry, I a, is I do have a question. I do have a question here. Oh, okay, uh, go ahead. Uh, do you personally have you ever had a bill that you were felt strongly against or for that? the testimony actually changed your mind and if it did happen could you tell me which bill it was okay thanks for the call harry go ahead matt it's all yours sure harry and that's a great that's a great question i think in today's uh uh culture where all the headlines are just polarized that uh, that kind of gets lost in the undertow of there is still there's still a lot of bills here that uh pass with bipartisan support um there's a lot of bills there's a whole bunch of issues that uh, that come out everybody. I mean, we're not experts uh, in every area by any means, and uh, yet we're a citizen legislature that has to vote on all these uh, different topics that are thrown at us. So you bet. It's, uh, I feel safe to say that all of us have uh, uh, have one area or another where you sit through the committee, you, uh, you have a strong feeling one way or the next, and you hear the other side of the coin and go, hey, this, this doesn't uh, make as much sense as I thought, or Maybe there's a different way. This isn't, we want the end result, but this isn't the way to get it and vote no on a bill that you came in thinking you're going to vote yes on. So that happens all the time. So as for, I mean, as for examples that um, uh, for me, one could be uh, like water rights. I'm all for uh, uh, personal water rights, but then there's times that you figure out that that bill that was going to provide uh uh, water rights for a certain private property is going to affect the neighbor and you're infringing on the neighbor's rights and that's something that that you miss so there's an example of of i'm all for personal property rights but you can't take away your neighbor's personal property rights to get yours so um that's just one one example but that does happen a lot so i would once again uh, tell everybody out there listening that uh, um the world is run by those that show up. I forgot who said that, but um, you got You got to have your voice heard, and it does change minds. It does change legislators' minds, and it changes the outcome. Even and even if it doesn't, right? Even if it doesn't, then change their minds. Then you, as a citizen, have fulfilled your responsibility to go to your local legislature. Uh, and by the way, if you, uh, it is possible to attend online. Is it with, via Zoom uh, and without having to travel to Helena? Yes, correct. Yep. You can sign up. You got to sign up the day before, by noon the day before of the right. committee. Right. But you sign up at budgemt.gov and, uh, yeah, you can testify and have your two cents. And also say, even if it doesn't change your mind uh, or change the outcome of the vote of this session, I've seen it where one session, everybody's like, no, this is a bad idea. The next session, they're kind of warmed up to it and it just barely dies. And then the next session, it's 
it's almost a huge majority that are passing that same concept out. Uh, right. So sometimes it takes time. It's a, it's a barge, not a jet ski. <laughs> Good. Well, well said. We're going to come right back with more with uh, Speaker of the House, Matt Regier. Uh, give us a call. 721-1290 is our number. We have Skip and Catherine both waiting to talk with you, sir, right after this. Okay, we are back on Talkback. 721-1290 is our number. Speaker of the House, Matt Regier, joining us on the phone right now from uh, the Rotunda. I'm, I'm assuming the Rotunda of the Capitol Building or perhaps at a phone booth somewhere. But <laughs> it's good to have you, Matt. Thank you. All right. We, we've got Actually, folks. Just my What's that? Just uh, just working hard in the office. All right. Well, let's let's get Skip on the line. He's been waiting the longest. Skip, good morning. You're on with Matt Regier. Go ahead. Good morning, Peter. And good morning, Matt. I I uh, wanted to tell you about a uh, an article that uh, Jason Ellsworth uh, has just written. He writes an article in our local papers here in the Bitterroot uh, almost every week, and it's very informative and easy. It's an easy read. Uh, he talks about a group of bills, and I, I think this is the second group I've heard of uh, that seem to work nicely together. This one's all about, uh, I guess, uh, tax reform and relief uh having to do do with capital gains and and uh corporate tax lowering and uh and um uh getting the getting montana 2023 debt free and and uh and, and some infrastructure monies that are available hey so skip, 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 skip i just want you to know we're really running short of time what what is your question Got it. So those six bills uh, that he puts together, is is this a, a, a good thing for people to know that to, to call in and, and say all all six of these bills work together? And do they come to the floor together? That's what I was wondering. How does that work all right. on the floor? Super. Skip, Thank th- thanks for the call. Okay, Matt. Yeah, thanks, Skip. So it is, uh, I mean, they're kind of moving all together as a flock. They're all individual birds, but they're all flying together. Um, and there's actually eight of them. We've got two Senate bills now. They're over the House. What Skip was referring to are uh, over a billion dollars of House bills that uh, we sent over to the Senate. Uh, uh, we got property tax relief checks, uh, income tax rebates going back. We're paying off our debts, paying off Montana's credit card. Um, we've also, yeah, exempted small uh, small businesses from the business equipment tax, so relief for small Montana businesses. It's over a billion dollars of of tax relief that we've passed, um, as well as lowering the income tax rate from uh, uh, 6.75 down to 5.9. That'll be in the House here, too. And uh, so it's ongoing income tax relief as, as well as uh, rebate checks from the surplus, uh, the overpaid uh, surplus that the taxpayers overpaid. Um, so we're excited to get that to the governor's desk, and hopefully that'll be here next week to the governor's desk, and we can uh, uh, we can get those get that money back to the people of Montana. All right, let's get Catherine up next. Catherine, good morning. You're on with the Speaker of the House, Matt Regeer. Go ahead. Yeah, good morning. Just the, I, this question is kind of out of left field, I suppose. But has the legislature or or either political party considered? Uh, reforming child labor laws, in other words, lowering the age at which children or kids can start work. I think it's at 15 now, but lowering it down to maybe 12 or something like that. Thanks. Thanks for the call. Yeah, that's a, that is out of left field. That's a good one. But actually, there was a bill, and I don't know exactly where that's at, to... Um, uh, to allow for just even some more hours, I believe. I don't know if it lowered the age. Uh, now I'm really digging back in the memory. But like in Kalispell, we've got the new uh, Range Rider uh, baseball stadium up there. And a lot of the 15-year-olds would, would come and run the concession stand just for the game. And uh, they were running into, they couldn't do like two games or three games a week. It had to be certain hours per week. So there's something to change that up to just allow the 15-year-olds to uh work a few more hours if they wanted to. Um, and I, I, like I said, that was a while ago that I read that bill, so I don't even know the status of, of that one. All right, let's get Susan up next. Susan, good morning. Thanks for holding. You're on with Matt Regier. Go ahead. Okay, quick question. What are the bills right before all of the legislators right now that will help the average Montanan who owns property, not the Montanans that are necessarily um, in grave financial problems, but just the average Montanan like myself 
to reduce their property tax? And what are what are the legislators doing to keep cities from um, going off and doing their own separate tax dis- districts so that we as uh, consumers are going to not only be taxed for our property, but also taxed for living in a particular city? Interesting. All right. Thanks for the call, Susan. What, what do you think, Matt? Yeah, and we get this a lot on the property tax. And uh, just uh, on the outset here, the state takes in 17, a little over 17% of the property tax goes to the state. And that turns around and goes right back to the schools with a lot more money. So the state really doesn't get any of the property tax. And it's largely driven by the local mills and uh, county commissioners and, and city local government. Uh, but not to say that the state doesn't play a part in that. We do. And we've got a few bills. Um, Representative Hinkle has one um, right now in code um uh, you it caps revenue at half the percent of uh, inflation so you can go half half of what inflation is for your mills you can only get so much revenue but there's nothing capping local governments on their expenditures so they make that up with fees and and other sources of of revenue uh, and that in turn then uh, piles onto everybody's property tax so this uh, bill that uh, representative uh, caleb hinkle out of uh, belgrade there has that uh, would uh, put uh, some sort of ceiling on the expenditures of local government, which in turn would would provide that property tax relief. Also, uh, Larry Larry Brewster out of Billings, Representative Brewster, um, had a, has a bill coming on TIF districts. TIF districts are another one that the, the cities use to exempt out uh, um, some of that uh, property tax. Goes all of it stays there, none of it gets to the schools, and all the other property tax owners then are picking up uh, the stress of. Of a tif- of a tif- district, so uh, that uh, that bill will be coming too. I think I will make it more equitable. Um, once again, we can we can do a few things here at the state, but largely it's a, it's a, the local government and the mills that they put on really fully drives a, a lot of that property tax. So we're doing what we can here. I know that's what we hear on the doors a lot as we knock the doors during election season. Uh, we hear from you guys the property taxes is a really a heavy burden and it's something that I think we need to work in partnership with local government and uh, and fix that for the people of Montana. With that, we're up against another break. We have Jeff waiting to talk with you, our, our guest on the phone, and we are thrilled to have him, Matt Regier, uh, Speaker of the House of Representatives. We're coming right back after this quick timeout. We do have several lines open if you have a question. So hurry up. He's only on for about another eight minutes. So we'll be right back. Welcome to the C. And we are back on Talkback. Matt Regeer, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, joining us on the phone right now. Jeff has been waiting the longest. Jeff, you're up. Go ahead, sir. Hey, good morning. Uh, It's no secret that the supply chain has been disrupted over the last three years or so. Uh, But one of the things that doesn't get a lot of talk, at least I don't hear a lot of talk about, is uh, big ticket items, particularly in the power transmission area like for the uh, grid, the transmission grid transformers in particular, those are big ticket, huge ticket items that I just read that uh, the lead time for some of the bigger stuff has gone from 38 weeks to 38 months. And uh, cost is high and, you know, over 80% of them are made overseas. So uh, is the legislature looking at anything to strengthen the uh, power grid here in the state of Montana, I know you can't do anything really nationally, but in terms of, uh, you know, protecting it from damage like happened down in the Carolinas or uh, or looking at uh, helping the companies preposition some of the big ticket items. So if there's a failure somewhere that uh, we will have the infrastructure replacement needed so we don't have to wait months or years for a replacement. Good question, Jeff. Thanks for the call. Yes, uh, Matt, go ahead. Yeah, that's a great question. Actually, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, as a state here, yeah, it's, we don't do much. Uh, you can't affect much nationally or especially internationally. But here uh, in the state, we just had a bill. Uh, Representative Schillinger at a Circle, Montana, had a bill for pre-approval uh, for energy companies that are operating here in Montana. And how it worked is normally they, uh, if they want a capital improvement, of, you know, power, uh, a new power grid upgrade, new power um uh, power station manufacturing it uh, they have to they had to go get just a nod they couldn't get pre-approval for it and that's tough to get 
get funding, to get uh, the investors on board, to create something new. I mean, it was all backwards. If you need, the PSC needs to be able to pre-approve something. That way we can uh, have a lot more foresight uh, on our on our energy, on our energy grid and in our power production uh, going into the future. And I think that's a great bill to uh, be able to allow that um uh, that those energy companies to be a lot more forward thinking. And that's going to, I believe, uh, cause a lot more stability in the Montana energy market. And uh, hopefully in the future, I mean, you need all that capital improvements uh, to deliver the energy and to create it. And now, Matt, I believe that bill is going to be a big step in the right Matt, direction. We only have about three minutes left, and let's get one more caller on real quick. Uh, Walt Kiro, good morning. You're on with Matt Regeer. Go ahead. Hey, good morning, Mr. Speaker. Matt, how, how are you? I'm doing excellent. Okay, my question quickly is, are there, is there any pending legislation to deal with voter integrity? And I'm concerned about modems being hooked up to vote counting machines or any kind of voting machines. So is that being addressed? Good question. Yes, thanks, actually. Walt. Yes, thanks, Walt. That was, uh, we've got a bill that's already we've went over to the senate house bill 173 by representative Beatty out of the bitterroot there is a great bill on uh, vote tabulation machines and making sure that that they weren't hooked up that they were audited and and independent so uh, we've already addressed that in the house hopefully our colleagues in the senate can pass that there and and get it to the governor's desk too so that's one that's uh, out ahead of the game we've got a few more to uh, you know, clean up the inactive list uh, Representative Hillegard, we've has that, and then also um, uh, having more elections on the same day, like school elections, uh, having them uh, on on the same day. So we've got uh, we've got a few election things going through to make sure that our election house is secured and locked. Well, I do know that there has been a movement to move some of the the school uh, mill levy and uh, uh, trustee board elections to the the general election uh because very few people actually vote in those in those school elections i mean it's it's just a very small number right i mean you get even even if you get 25 percent turnout that means 13 percent could uh raise all the property taxes for for the for the rest of them and that uh that's a very small percentage that is that is spending a lot of uh property tax money back to the previous callers um, concern of property taxes uh, when you have a small group like that turning out and raising the taxes that's how we get higher property taxes too so we have a little less than a minute left matt your your final final words on what you'll be working on today yeah like i said um and i know the uh, sexually explicit shows there in minors that's the the big one that's on the floor today um, we did hear one that I didn't uh, mention was charter schools. We had two different charter school bills that were heard in education, and education's going to uh, take some executive action on those, but trying to uh, leave the power with the parents, and uh, the parents know what's best for the kids, and the school systems are there to support the education of the kids. And at the end of the day, I think we're going to get some good stuff out of those bills. Matt, it is always a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for taking so many calls. We really appreciate your time, sir. Thanks a bunch for having me. Always great to be on. Okay, we're going to come right back, and uh, Sean Manraxa will be joining us in the next hour. My name is Corporal Bradley Joseph Seitz. Jerry Reed. Kate Weber. These are real veterans facing a real challenge. I have PTSD. And I have PTSD. I have PTSD. Post-traumatic stress disorder can happen to anyone. I was still in a war zone in my mind. But treatment can turn your life around. Treatment has really saved my life. To learn about PTSD and how treatment can help you, call your local VA medical center or visit ptsd.va.gov. Roxanne Watson is on a mission to have more people sign up as organ, eye, and tissue donors. What drives her? Roxanne received a heart transplant made possible by an organ donor. I decided that day to devote myself to signing up. What do you want? This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM, KGVO. Missoula's News and Weather Station. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's hour number two of Talk Back, and we are definitely f- f- flipping the script here. We're going to get to Sean Manraxa here in the studio in a moment. Uh, of course, Talk Back is brought to you this morning by Phillips Janitorial. So whether you need your home or your business cleaned, 
Remember, nobody does it better. No job is too big or small than Phillips Janitorial. Uh, give them a call today. Get a free estimate at 406-260-6617. Also brought to you by Brooklyn Bagel and Bakery. Nobody has authentic New York bagels and pastries like uh, all the way from Little Italy, like the folks at Brooklyn Bagel and Bakery out on North Reserve. The views and opinions expressed on TalkBack are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. Okay, here we are. We're back on TalkBack. 721-1290 is our number. I'm Peter Christian. Nick Christensen is right over there. Good morning. And he's uh, his good good buddy with this gentleman who is in the studio right now, Lieutenant Sean Manraxa with the Missoula Police Department. Welcome back. It's good to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Now, now the, last time, <laughs> the last time you were here, you gave us some pretty startling startling statistics and, and, the, and the actions that your uh, your police department and other law enforcement agencies were, were doing to go after the drug problem in Missoula. I mean, you were really specific about this. So we have an update coming up. So what what's what's happening? Well, uh, we released the 2022 statistics for the uh, Missoula Drug Task Force seizures um, and the fourth quarter. Um, and then we took a look at um, what we've been doing in the last six to eight weeks. And those those numbers are incredibly uh, startling as well but also impressive in terms of what the team has accomplished and what what they're doing for the community actually so specific if you could be just a little specific give us some of the numbers because when you were here before it was really quite alarming uh because one of, one of the things that you said we want people who deal drugs in missoula to know and your words were we're coming after you right so so obviously it's been working right and so last time that i that i was on um I had talked about uh, some of the changes in the processes, improving the efficacy and the efficiency of our investigations and our our um, Zilla Drug Task Force dynamics and collaboration with other other agencies like DEA, ATF, HSI. Um, just all U.S. Attorney's Office, Missoula County Attorney's Office. We looked at um, some of the 2022 stats, um, and last year, all of last year, we seized about 12,749 fentanyl pills, and in the six weeks since 2023, we're over 25,000. So why is that? Is that because we're trying to highlight this and we're we're focusing more on this issue, so we're just... You know, more resources are being put into getting these drugs off the street, or is there, you know, are there just more drugs on the street during this year, 2023, than there was last year, at least for the start? I mean, why is that number so much higher, you think? Or or, or is the public coming forward and helping you out? Um, a little bit of the public. So there's no, there's no easy answer. I, I like to take it and analyze it for all of its equal parts. Um, primarily, um, I want to say, it's the great work by the team. You know, like everybody that I have at the Missoula Drug Task Force is incredibly dedicated, incredibly professional, and, they, they're, and they're out all hours, you know, no matter what it is. The, the team is working diligently to keep um, as many drugs as they can from hitting the streets. So I'll give credit to the team first, you know, um, from everybody out there, DEA, ATF, MPD, our street crimes unit, our canine unit. Um, Missoula County Sheriff's Office, um, HSI, all all combined parts. And then we work with the other teams, too. It's not like um, we compete with other task force. We, we try and work to mu- as much as we can together. Um, there's a huge increase in the fentanyl. It's extremely addictive. They've basically kind of knocked out heroin um, in the last couple of years and replaced it with fentanyl pills. Um, so... We have that um, information sharing um, processes that were outdated and obsolete that had just been the way things had been done in law enforcement for so long. We're changing the dynamics and taking an uh, asymmetric approach to our investigations and really improving the efficiency and expanding the scope and scale. And information from the community, too. We're seeing we're seeing increased drug tips and stuff like that. So. What's your biggest concern? Because those are just the initial six-week numbers of 2023, right? And they're so much higher percentage-wise than 2022. So, I mean, again, is it a is it a good thing because we're getting, obviously, more drugs off the street or more drugs are out there, so then we just got to work harder? I mean, because now you're looking at these numbers and thinking like, okay, let's do the math. What are the numbers going to be at the end of 2023, right? And they could be staggering even more. So Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's bittersweet. Um, obviously, we like to see those big numbers, but I also understand what those numbers mean. 
that there's more of it out there and how much are we missing you know how much did we miss in 2022 um what didn't we get you know what didn't we accomplish and i think um the difference is is great good job team but also it kind of it, it worries me a lot that there's more and more being pushed in but i think the same day that i came last time um i think um law enforcement and in cooperation with Mexico's government, they seized a, a lab that I think had like 630,000 fentanyl pills wow. ready to go to market. And so I think combined efforts. And then I just recently saw that they also started sanctioning, you know, some of these some of these cartel entities and some of their other businesses and stuff like that. So, how, how do you sanction a cartel? <laughs> <laughs> stop that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you don't mind, we'd like you to stop this activity. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So a lot of it, um, they're looking at some of the companies that are producing it and what they're doing, you know. Um, product being shipped from overseas into some of these clandestine labs in, in other countries and being manufactured mostly in Mexico. Um, but some of these entities and companies, shell holdings and stuff like that, that finance the, the drug trade. So sanctioning them uh, means potential seizure of assets, freezing accounts, and uh, eliminating the cash flow. So I think that's an important step. But like I said, it's got to be an asymmetric approach. We need to uh, figure out what tactics work and what don't we can't keep you know doing the same things over and over and it really takes a lot of cooperation i mean we have work with the u.s attorney's office and Brittany williams from the county attorney's office is our is our drug litigation expert um so she handles a lot of our cases and bringing she's tough she is she's (laughs) she works just as hard as the investigators i mean she's answering phone calls on search warrants she's um talking to investigators at all hours about case dynamics or case strategies and what's good for prosecution because that's the goal, right? We want to have successful prosecutions because if successful, if offenders aren't prosecuted effectively, then they just return to the game. Because drug dealers don't have office hours, you can't either. No. Really. No. So we're, we're going to come right back. By the way, the phone lines are open. Sean, uh, Lieutenant Sean Manraxa, Missoula Police Department, joining us here in the studio. He would love to take your calls. So if you have a question or a comment, uh, 721-1290, that's one of the reasons he's here is to keep you folks, our wonderful talkback audience, informed as to what's happening with drug interdiction and investigations here in Missoula. And we're going to come right back after this. For over 100... Lieutenant Sean Manrax in Missoula Police Department joining us. We're back on TalkBack. And uh, we have uh, folks already on the phone right now that want to visit with you. I believe it is uh, Marilyn. Marilyn, good morning. You're on with Sean. Go ahead. Good morning. So um, I have a couple friends that think that we should just legalize all drugs. Just legalize all drugs. Um, can you tell me if you think the legalization have, of marijuana has helped or hindered what you guys do? A very good question. Thanks, Marilyn. Well, oops, sorry. Go ahead. That one, uh, the legalization of marijuana, um, it has allowed us to focus on the things that were the larger problems, um, in the Missoula Drug Task Force, the meth and heroin have always been kind of supreme in our area, and now it's meth and fentanyl, but um, we tended to focus a lot more on those other drugs because those are the ones that have a lot more violence, but they're still in the marijuana circles. They're still black market marijuana that is out of dispensaries and being funneled um, into different organizations, states that haven't um, legalized marijuana on the state level yet, but our efforts primarily have always remained on the stuff that creates the most amount of violence and the things that have the most guns and problems and in terms of addiction. One of the things that I th- I'm not sure if this has been addressed yet, but I know there's litigate or I should say legislation trying to uh, allow these these clinics to be able to use banks that are insured by the FDIC because it's a federal law, right? Mm-hmm. So, so um, uh, are, is that something that your task force deals with? With because these things are just are just vaults full of cash, and yeah. so uh, are you uh, dealing with any of that with th- those problems? Um, we are, but in a different sense. So, like, not so much in those areas because. Um, we're, like I said, when we're taking a look at some of the different investigations, um, we historically haven't charged the, the money laundering aspect. And 
we're starting to take a look at that. And so I've had conversations with Brittany Williams in the county attorney's office and seeing different approaches to that because I think, you know, on some of these case investigations, it's usually the, the charges are possession with intent to distribute or um, criminal distribution where they're actually distributing and then property subject to criminal forfeiture, you know, things that they use to continue their drug uh, trafficking or drug distribution activities. And so we started taking a look at some of the investigations this year and see what qualifies for um, charging somebody with using those illicit funds and laundering that money into, you know, the regular flow of cash. So I think some of those those asymmetric tactics are going to be more beneficial. Now, do you, do you, what did do you think people would be shocked? I, I just wrote this question down <laughs> for myself here. Do you think it would shock people to know as they're driving down their street, whether I, I live on St. St. Thomas drive, whether you live on Higgins or whatever it might be, as you drive down, look at all the various houses, go by them. How many of those houses have problems with drugs? I think people would, and I think it's a it's a testament to the team itself because um, routinely, you know, in family and friend circles and other investigators' experiences too, that people are like, "Missoula has a drug problem," and it's a and it's a question. So that tells me a couple things that um, a that they might not necessarily be as informed, and so that's kind of like the reasons why I want to come out and talk and do more media releases on things that are going on and let people be aware. But also, it means our investigators are doing a really, really good job. They're keeping the public from the trenches, you know, like from the front lines, and they're really holding back against these distributors. And so I think it's both in part for those, you know, like these guys These guys are really dedicated and professional. Go ahead. I was going to say, too, and I think, you know, this is we, – we talk about it all the time with – um, you know, people in politics, you know, our senators and, um, and, uh, commissioners and, and everybody. And I mean, it's a national issue, right? And so for our community to understand that, like, you know, they may hear that, they may hear that stuff in the news and stuff, but then when they hear it here locally, not just statewide, but like in your town in Missoula, you know, these crimes are being committed, these drugs are around there, you know, it brings it close to home, or if they see, you know, sirens from across the street at their neighbor's house and they want to know, you know, what's going on. And, you know, maybe you find out, okay, that's where someone was dealing drugs, right? It was an Airbnb or something like that. They were staying there. But, you know, it, it almost makes the problem almost more more serious because it's it's there, it's present. So is that, I mean, at all part of your messaging to kind of let people know that, hey, this is a bigger issue, but we're focusing on it here locally as well? Yes, and that, that is part of the goal to address it and release as much public information as we can, because I think that's important to address that. And I don't think um, we as an organization, we as a community have been publicly addressing it enough. And I think that message needs to get out there. And I was kind of like the multi-phase process, come back, tell everybody, Hey, we're coming after the, we're relentlessly pursuing the distributors. We're aggressively prosecuting you. It's a different time. It's a different area. And this problem we've had enough. I know that Nick Nick has been, been very on, on top of, of crime here in Missoula. He reports on it. That's that's one of his uh, strong points. But my, my, my question is, um, with all of the interdiction, all the investigations, all the arrests, is uh, is are you allowed as a, as a law enforcement agency to release a map of where all these arrests have been so so that people can see? Wow, I had no idea this might this is my neighborhood. I mean, I had no idea there was an arrest that occurred there last month or whatever. Or is that something that you would not find would be helpful to the public? I think there are some things, but additionally, too, it's it's a it's a complicated dynamic, right? There are some public information available to to map out. But then in terms of like our scope at the Missoula Drug Task Force, it, some of those some of those things that we do that those overt activities like a search warrant at a residence you might not see an arrest from that. You know, we're furthering the scale of the investigation where we're moving out and up from these organizations and trying to disrupt and dismantle drug trafficking organizations. So in terms of that, you might not see an immediate arrest. And that could be because we're still working on the larger picture or, you know, we're pursuing federal prosecutions on those people too. And so, you know, the U.S. Attorney's Office routinely doesn't like 
us to talk publicly about ongoing cases until they're adjudicated or until you know there's a conviction in place so um and we respect that fact and we we talk about the things we can publicly now so and the nice thing about working with the u.s attorney uh if it's a federal crime there's no parole if it's a 10-year sentence, it's a 10-year sentence. What, team, uh, what time you get sentenced to is the time you're going to serve. That's so right. It's an effective technique and when we have the ability. We're going to come right back. Emmett is waiting to talk with you. Uh, several other phone lines open. Our guest in the studio, we're privileged to have him with us, Sean Van Rax, a lieutenant with the uh, Missoula Police Department, talking about drugs and, and, the, and the team that he has put together and, and, the, and the progress that they're making in their goal of ma- making every drug dealer just say, I'm just going to leave Missoula. <laughs> we don't like it here anymore. So. We're coming right back. Hi, I'm Dan with the... Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's Talk Back for this Thursday, February 23rd. I'm Peter Christian. Nick Christensen right over there joining us in the studio. Lieutenant Sean Manraxa with the Missoula Police Department. Let's get right to the phones. Emmett, good morning. You're on. Thanks for taking my call. Well, interesting, if not depressing, conversation. <laughs> um, I'm kind of confused, though, on something. There have always been drugs in Missoula. I mean, ever since I moved on my own in 1986... There's always been a plethora of drugs. We've never heard of fentanyl. But one time, I think in the late 80s, I was walking down somewhere in downtown, and I saw someone smoking something that looked like crack and two eaves of a building that's been blocked off by now. But I've known there, I've no, I don't do any drugs, but I do know that there's been drugs and crime. <clears throat> is it that there are more, a lot more drugs in Missoula, a lot more crime? If that is, why is that? Is that that there are more people? more access to these things. I don't want Missoula to become another Phoenix or another Tucson. I, we fled Tucson and when I was 13 to escape all the drugs and the crime. And uh, what can we do to prevent this from being another big city like Tucson? Because that's why we love Missoula and Montana. It's relatively free from crime and well, relatively quiet. We can live quiet lives. So how would you address this? Okay. I don't know the answers. Good question, Emmett. Go ahead. Two-part question, Emmett. So the first one is, are there more drugs? Yes, I would say that there are. You know, the profit margins on the northern side of the continental United States is much higher than the southern side. It's access, travel, you know, risk. And so those prices inflate the farther north you it's, go. It's all, it's all about economics. Yeah, so. Economics. Yeah, so right. you can buy a fentanyl pill close to the border for about a, a dollar a pill. You can come up here to sell it between 10, 15, 20, 25 is the highest we've seen it. So the the profit margins are extremely high. So more people are trying to expand their, expand their cash flow. Um, and then, you know, I think what, what can people do more um, support us? You know, I think, you know, talking to your elected officials and saying, you know, we need more personnel to fight this. People don't routinely like adding more police to their police forces but with these numbers it's hard to argue like we need more investigators to to combat the problems you know like we can't run this operational tempo forever i mean you you guys see me with red eyes this morning because we were running all hours of the day you know all week um and so my team cannot sustain an operational tempo like this indefinitely we need more people to help take some of the load off and we need more collaboration and we need public education and awareness it's a it's a multi-pronged approach to you know helping fight the drug epidemic is that a legislature thing is that a local city city council thing i know you guys present your budget every year and ask for you know potentially more funding for officers and it's all kind of capsulated into one thing i mean how how do you guys how do you get more officers, basically, to help out? I'll speak to my level. Um, it's both uh, state, national, and local, right? Because we are multi-jurisdictional task force. So we have local officers working with state officers, the Department of Criminal Investigations, who have been fantastic with us, um, and then federal agencies. So, like, expanding the abilities and expanding the funding for places that do the work that we do and getting them to say, hey, we would like more people put into these positions because a lot of our crime statistics have a drug-involved nexus, meaning a lot of violent crime has some association with drug distributors, drug drug users. And so the property crimes, a lot of property crimes have a drug nexus. So adding more investigators to the team overall, I think, would improve the ability to combat some of these more prevalent drugs. Let's get Jeff on the line. Jeff, good morning. You're on with Sean Manraxa. Go ahead. 
Hey, good morning. Uh, I recently read about, uh, or heard actually, it was on uh, one of the uh, breaks of the increase in uh, child overdoses based on the uh, getting to uh, marijuana in a house. And it brought to mind something that uh, I brought up months ago, and it's about, uh, you know, kids being in houses where marijuana is smoked. And, you know, we talk about the effects of secondhand smoke from tobacco. Well, I mean, it pales in comparison, I think, to the side effects of secondhand marijuana smoke. And the thought occurred to me that um, the marijuana genie is out of the bottle. I don't think we're going to recriminalize at least anytime soon, but can we make penalties for certain misbehaviors around it? Uh, and the thought that occurred to me was that uh, any Schedule One drug has to be kept in a lockbox in the house if there's children present. And uh, and if you don't, it and, and somebody gets an overdose, then the parent can be criminally charged with neglect. Um, what do you think about you know, some... Things at the margins like that that aren't going to, like I said, put the genie back in the bottle, but I guess in the end could protect kids. Tell you what, Sean, hang on to that question. We'll, we will take a break and give you a chance to answer it more completely. Okay. Uh, Jeff, I'll, I'll keep you on the line as well. Uh, felt lines are open. Uh, well, yeah. you want to call back. That's fine. <laughs> 721 is our number. Uh, we're talking with Lieutenant Sean Manraxa with the Missoula Police Department and the amazing job they're doing uh, interdicting and prosecuting the drug problem here in Missoula. We're going to come right back. I'm Ben Affleck, and I want to thank you for joining me and supporting Paralyzed Veterans of America. I joined the Navy to serve my country while parachuting with my platoon. My parachute didn't open, and I broke my neck. Thanks to PVA, Paralyzed Veterans are getting specialized medical care and treatments, the jobs they want, and the accessible vehicles and homes they need. I just don't think my family would be as happy as they are without the support that I received from Paralyzed Veterans of America. Learn more at pva.org. When it comes to making plans, you are the best. What about those round trips, which are perfect on your way there and perfect on your way back? Or those meetings with friends, surprise parties, camps, birthdays. The same way you plan for the important moments, start planning to protect you and your loved ones from a natural disaster. Sign up for local weather and emergency alerts. Prepare an emergency kit and make a family communications plan. Get started at ready.gov slash plan. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Okay, we are back on Talkback. 721-1290 is our number. Okay, uh, with Jeff's question about marijuana. Uh, so go ahead and, and trying to keep kids safe in the house. So there are some, there are some laws, um, regarding child criminal endangerment and neglect and those things. And those are kind of looking at it. But additionally, too, I mean, it's, it's difficult to prosecute marijuana related crimes, um, especially because ultimately most of these most of these trials go to a jury right and so changing the public perception about you know it's the same thing and it, usually they equate in their minds to alcohol right if a child gets into alcohol and gets severely drunk or receive, gets alcohol poisoning you know it's kind of the same mentality that the public has about marijuana it's the same and so it's hard to change those perceptions and prosecute people under those. But we still take a look at those ones where, you know, where there's technically kind of like an overdose with a child where they get into some edibles or they get into the high concentrate THC products that are being distributed out of these dispensaries. Now, um, we look at those, you know, what protections are in place and is it is it just free access from the children to, you know, take it to their high schools and share it with their friends and then all of a sudden they get called back? Is there, is there anything in statute that, uh-huh. that you can point to and say, this, you know, law number, whatever it is, you can't do that. Uh, you, you have to keep this away from children or is it just simply take it case by case? Take it case by case. You know, I haven't looked at um, all those protections in place because mainly, like I said, our our focus is possession with intent, distribution, violent crime related to it, or, you know, um, some of the other ones. Um, but we do look at them case by case, and sometimes I do get referrals from outside agencies. I think we were talking on the break about the Missoula multidisciplinary team that has clinical professionals and CPS and investigators all working towards, you know, prevention of sexual assault and sexual intercourse without consent. And they have those uh, child family services representatives talk about things like that where children are getting access to high concentrated 
THC products. So um, we look at those and kind of give referrals and recommendations about those. Piggybacking off of that, I mean, you know, I, I mean, I've covered local cases here too where it's criminal child endangerment because it's not marijuana, but it's meth, mm-hmm. right? A couple could be at home and, you know, they're, they have a scale and there's, you know, residue here, or residue there. Meth is even in reach of children. You know, there was one case, I think it was last year where a child actually ingested meth. But it, I mean, so obviously when you guys are doing the work that you do, how does it change things, I guess, when children are involved? Uh, but because uh, obviously that could lead to more charges, right? Yep. So we take those violence and uh, crimes against children are very, very important, especially. And it has significant overlap in the drug investigations, too, because not everybody, you know, like goes away to deal drugs away from their kids. Sometimes there's kids in the home. And so like those meth ones, we take a look at the seriousness of that because of the physiological reactions um, in terms of ingesting meth, what it does to your body physically. And why does it create such a high addiction? Because it just flushes your body with dopamine like massive amounts and for a developing juvenile or young child body that can be very very dangerous yes Um, because they're still developing and so that addiction hits harder in kids than it does in adults and so we look at those more serious but the physiological reactions between marijuana and developing bodies is similar but not anywhere close to the same so are you um i, I realize you're, you're in the the law enforcement interdiction uh area mm-hmm. but when you run across a crime scene where children have been exposed to this mm-hmm. um wh- where does it go from there i mean does it does it go uh, to the county attorney, does it, obviously they need medical care, they need medical treatment. Mm. So what does that mean? That means more time, more more ability for them to be corrected and rehabilitated in, in the criminal justice system. So um, we really take a focus on seeing what's going to be the best and efficiency, right? We have to look about efficiency and efficacy, you know, what's going to work and what's going to be the best. So what about drug dealers specifically? Because I know last time you were on, you had a, obviously Peter mentioned it earlier, mm-hmm. stern message, we're coming for you guys. So when you have, you know, a drug dealer that could potentially be charged with multiple felony offenses is that the goal as well basically that is a goal you know um and that's in terms of disrupting those entire drug trafficking organizations if if there's not a clear prosecution message and then there's no consequences and they don't fear us um in terms of their activities of what they're doing then they're they they just continue to do it right and so like those prosecutions and like i talked about asymmetric investigations we are also looking at um getting officers and investigators trained on persons who are responsible for overdose deaths meaning we would like to charge dealers in cases where their customers have died from an overdose and so it's training, it's public perception. We need people because routinely the public just assumes that it's just another drug addict that hooked on fentanyl. They have a sad story, but it is so much different than that now. It used to be that way, but it is not that case anymore. There's so many people, kids are dying from fentanyl overdoses. And so we're looking to charge distributors of fentanyl specifically with um, criminal homicide. So there's a network of responsibility here. Yes, all right, so we're going to come right back. Phone lines are open if you would have a question for Lieutenant Sean Manrax. I hope you're not too depressed. I hope you're feeling more hopeful now that that Sean is here. 721-1290 is our number. 1-800-568-5309. Or, we have mentioned this for a while, the KGVO app. Use the KGVO app. I hit that message us button, and Dick will be more than happy to pass that along. We'll be right back after this. Okay, we're back on Talk Back. Uh, Sean Manrax, a lieutenant with the Missoula Police Department, joining us here in the studio. Uh, real quick, before we get to Catherine's call, we were talking about this during the break. I moved here in the 70s, right? I went to school here for a, a glorious year. Peace sign was up on the hill. Everybody's, you know, wearing, you know, flower power and all that. Everything's totally cool. <laughs> And everything's it's, it's, it. Missoula is the liberal center of, of, of Montana. Isn't it wonderful? It's all peace, love, rock and roll, all that kind of stuff. Mm. Has that atmosphere um, 
of basically acceptance of what people wanted to do for their own. I mean, it's, it's my it's my body. I can do whatever I want with it. That sort of thing. Has that atmosphere uh, continued with this? As you mentioned, a dark underbelly here. Mm-hmm. I think it maybe has contributed a little bit, and that's why I'm trying to get the message out there and inform the public. But I think that has something to do with it. You know, we still run into people who say, "This is Missoula. I don't ever lock my car or lock my house," but. That dynamic has significantly changed, and I just don't think we as law enforcement or criminal justice professionals have um, got that message out there or been doing too good a job to keep it from, you know, your your perception that the world is great. It is a different world yes. than it was back in the 70s, right? Yes. Holy, totally different world. Yeah, not just Missoula. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, let's get yeah. Catherine on the line. Catherine, I'm sorry to make you wait. Go ahead. What's on your mind? That's all right. I was uh, wondering, there's a, a drug that's known as a zombie drug. Uh, it's called xylazine, I think. Yep. And um, it's a veterinary drug that has been making its way across the United States. It causes massive sores yep. in people, and it's a more repetitive effect. I was wondering if it has made its way into Missoula at all. We have not seen it, and usually it takes um, some time. If it's popular, usually on the coastal sections of the continental U.S., that eventually to make its way here. But um, it just depends on the market, right, and the profitability. And so that's why we've seen such a massive increase is the profitability of meth and the profitability of fentanyl pills and powder. Um, but we haven't seen the drug that they're street calling it, Trank. Um, and mixing it. I know the East Coast has been significantly hit, areas like Pittsburgh. Um, and I pay attention to these things and look at these trends in other areas and try and forecast, you know, when and how it will end up in Missoula. But hopefully, you know, if we, the goal would be to knock down the suppliers, right? And then you don't have um, users, end users um, staying around. They're going to travel to places and maybe reside in places where the supply is easier. And if our investigators do effective jobs at disrupting these organizations that distribute drugs, then we can, you know, make an impact and get other end users to treatment services in places where it's not as the same. So, how do you get to those suppliers? I mean, because that's obviously the goal, but it's obviously easier said than done, right? I mean, you. You see in the movies and the, oh, that, the, the confidential informant, oh, the, the snitch, the rat, right? He's going to tell on Popeye Doyle. The bigot, yeah, you know, I'll go give you a free pass. I mean, but, right. but really, I mean, and obviously I know that is part of it, but, um, how just yeah simply how do you get to these suppliers what's the easiest way <laughs> or, or are you allowed uh, to don't give away yeah, the secrets yeah, i guess we're, we're but, gonna show my cards now yeah. we're gonna tell you how we do these and, all you dealers yeah. turn up the radio <laughs> yeah, sorry go ahead um yeah well we'd like to keep some of those investigative strategies obviously close close to the chest so um there are tactics but like i said not all tactics works the same so we like to approach it and some of them have been valuable valuable anonymous tips the crime stoppers that you mentioned before nick will give you the number and online reporting through the mpd and you know mpd's facebook's we're using social media to contact us and provide information you know and then there are people who are you know have been criminally charged with uh, associated crimes and they want to provide information to better their situation and human to human, I want to give people the opportunity to do the right thing. And a lot of times, you know, it's it's a good thing when people in, you know, in pending prosecution want to provide information. And I think, you know, there's such a negative perception about people who provide information. You know, like you said, snitch, rat. Um, but these confidential informants and these sources of information, you know, sometimes they're doing it for money. Sometimes they're doing it to benefit their own case. Sometimes they're just doing it out of the goodness of their heart. And we appreciate all the information, you know, like um, and we we use that to benefit the the investigation and expand scope and to get higher on the chain. Just as the legislature was getting underway, the governor had a press conference and he talked about. Uh, specifically asking for a great deal of money uh, to help supplement the highway patrol, to help supplement uh, the the Department of Criminal Investigation, all, all those things. Is that money filtering, some of that money filtering down into your departments? Or, or, or are you asking the people of Missoula, we need your help, we need to ask you for more? They need to support that, and I think that's important too because a lot of our a lot of our investigations involve interdiction efforts with the Montana Highway Patrol and 
Um, at the Drug Task Force, we have a DCI agent who works closely with the interdiction teams on the highway patrol and takes those cases. So I think that's important um, that, you know, the administrators for for the state um, approach that. But the public also needs to say, you know, like take a look at those and say, is that enough? Or do we need to give more? And money is always money financing and budgeting always becomes a problem, right? Because there's only a finite amount. But and and some of that money is going to have to come through property taxes. And and yeah. <laughs> Lord knows that that is a hot button issue in Missoula and every, and every town. Uh, well, I I'd love to give you another five cents, mm-hmm. but you know I can't afford that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. wh- wh- where are we, Nick? Uh, we have Daryl, unless you want to take a quick break. No, uh, Daryl, good morning. You're on Talkback. Thank you for holding, sir. What's on your mind? Well, I wanted to ask a question. It might be a loaded question, but <laughs> okay. um, I'm I'm interested in how what I, I feel the county commissioners, it was their their attempt to defund the police in Missoula. You know, they gave themselves a 12% raise but didn't uh, apparently follow the law and uh, do the same for our... Uh, wonderful uh, team of law enforcement that we have. I'm wondering how that impacted um, the, the departments that we, our law enforcement here in Missoula. Um, I think in terms in, in morale, you know, like... Thanks, Daryl. Uh, Thanks for the call, Daryl. Law enforcement... Uh, Which, by the way, that litigation is ongoing. Yes. So, go ahead. Uh, I can't speak to that directly. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah, have... Yeah. And obviously, I work for the Missoula Police Department, so... Um, but it affects the ability to maintain and retain qualified and enthusiastic and motivated, you know, law enforcement personnel. When people don't feel the support from their community, you know, it's hard to do this. If you don't have the support you have in your job, Peter, Nick, you know, it's going to be hard to wake up each day and say, you know, why am I doing this? You know, you, and a lot of people, I think the tempo and the climate, um, has improved, but it's still, you know, at significant lows from other incidents. And mind you that Missoula Police Department is not involved on these ones that hit the national media. You know, the Missoula County Sheriff's Office and our local drug task force is not involved in the ones that you see. And we're trying to maintain that as much as possible, but it affects the morale. It affects the the motivation for people wanting to be law enforcement or criminal justice professionals. So. You bet. We're going to come right back. 721-1290 is our number. We still have phone lines open. We would love to hear from you. I know Sean Manraxa is here to answer your questions, not necessarily ours, but uh, he'd love to hear from you as well. And maybe a, a pat on the back or some support or whatever. Hey, what can we do to help you? So we're going to come right back with uh, more in one minute. Okay, we're back. Uh, final segment here with uh, Lieutenant Sean Manraxa with the Missoula Police Department. Uh, let's get Tim on the line. Tim, good morning. You're on with Sean. Go ahead. Oh, great. Thanks for taking my call. I have a question. I have a friend that had a missing sister go missing at the Pop Center. And dealing with the Missoula Police Department, a lot of them have been great. But now we're getting information that Missoula Police Department has shut down the missing persons division. And I was wondering if that was true. No, that's not necessarily true. Um, We've actually had quite a bit of recent training on missing persons and investigations. So um, we're focusing efforts on our investigators to um, do better at missing persons cases. All right. Great. Thank you. All right. Mm-hmm. Th- thanks for the call. Thanks for the call. All right. So we have exactly five and a half minutes. <laughs> get some stats. Yeah, let's get some stats. stats. Uh, for, if, in case you just missed the opening, which occurred at nine o'clock this morning, let's hit those stats because they're very impressive. So uh, the 2022, we see is about 51 pounds of meth. Um, this year, in the first two months, we're uh, already at 13.86 pounds of seizure on meth. Um, all of 2022, we had uh, 12,749 fentanyl pills seized. And already this year, we have 25,896 fentanyl pills seized, which is staggering. Um 78 firearms were seized all of last year in these investigations, and now we have 19. So we're approaching some of these um, numbers from 2019 in the first quarter. Why is that? Why are those firearm numbers included in there? What's the reasoning behind that? Um, Because there's certain there's certain laws, especially on the federal side. You know, uh, firearms and furtherance of a drug traffic and crime. So um, usually truck trafficking involves violence and protecting or stealing or 
um, all these other things that are involved or shootings, you know, drug debts owed, you know, we see, we've seen shootings from drug debts or bad drugs sold and people shooting the mountain out Valley Inn homicide several years ago involved some of those dynamics. Um, cash seizures, uh, already we've seized almost 60,000 in, in drug, drug monies. Um, uh, we're about, you know, uh, uh, I want to say five and five and a quarter pounds of cocaine, and we seized uh, five total of last year. Um, two two point six pounds of heroin, um, and we're already at almost a pound of heroin. So, I mean, we are. And it's February, folks. <laughs> yeah, it's, February. it's not even the end of February. Like I said, <laughs> these are six weeks. It's yeah. not even two months. It's six weeks. No. So it's crazy. All these, all the, uh, and then fentanyl powder. We're seeing an increase in fentanyl powder itself because, like I said, the price per pill, um, a dollar close to the southern border and, you know, anywhere between 10 and 25 up here. And much more on the reservations. And much more on the reservations, right. yes. And so we're seeing an increase. They can't economically sustain, users can't economically sustain those prices. So they're switching and they're taking their chances with, you know, uncut pure fentanyl powder. So what is that going to mean? We're starting to see an uptick in those powders because it's cheaper. You can buy the same amount of powder um, weight-wise as the amount of pills that you're paying for, um, but it's stronger doses. You know, that at least in the pills, there is some mixture of other things that offset the, mm-hmm. the, the powder that's in them. But um, these powders are carrying an increase of overdose deaths. Obviously, all of those stats are concerning, but what in these first six weeks is the most concerning to you? What kind of jumps off the page there? Uh, the fentanyl pills. You know, how much? How many of them are out there? And if it tells me that, you know, we've already seized this many, how many didn't we seize in 2022? How many dealers continue to be confident, get bold, and have no, no fear of consequences? And so... Um, we're we're hoping we're actively trying to change that perception. Do you happen to know? And again, I, I don't want you to reveal anything that may be proprietary here. But do you happen to know what? Obviously, these drug dealers they're they're not stupid. They're they 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 do everything they can to avoid what you guys are doing. <laughs> are are you able to have such a perimeter around Missoula? They'll they'll just they'll just give up and go away, or or what? I mean, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> that would be nice. That would be nice. <laughs> That's the goal, right? Yeah. That is the goal. Um, uh, wow. Um, that would be the goal, but I think, you know, opening up the abilities and, you know, leading from the front, because I'm out there with the investigators too. So, um, and showing them like, hey, this is what it's going to take. You want to change uh, the the climate. You want to um, get good investigations and prosecutions on some of these organizations and, you know, dismantle it on we're really we're on the back end, you know, on the, on the cartels. So we're on the end user side of things mostly, but there are still organizations that are still distributing. And so, um, I would like to put a nice soft blanket around Missoula and protect it, but it takes a lot and lot of effort. And we're seeing these in the numbers that we're, we're talking about today. We've got about 90 seconds left. What is your message to the people of Missoula? How can we help you? Uh, just support our efforts, you know, provide information and, um, you know, talk to your children. See something, say something. See something, say something. Talk to your children about the dangers of these, you know, like what can actually happen in, in you know, trying one of these blue pills. You know, the motto is one pill can kill. And if you have no tolerance to fentanyl at all and one of your kids takes them, it's very, they can instantly go into overdose. Um, but support, you know, talk to your elected officials. What more can we do? What more needs to be done? How to- can we better fund you? Yes. Yes. Always, always a funding issue, but, um, there, I think with the team that we have right now and some of the tactics we're taking can sustain it for a, a set amount of time, but that's not indefinite. Well, Sean, it's been a pleasure. It's always a pleasure having you. Uh, even though sometimes you bring us bad news, it's also good news. Be- it depends be- how you look at it. Right? <laughs> because you're making progress, uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I just want to give the compliments to my my team of investigators and the collaboration we have with our prosecutors, too. And all of our federal agencies, DA, um, ATF, HSI, um, FBI, even, too. Thank you so much.
Appreciate it, sir. Thank you. All right. Uh, what's coming up on tomorrow's fabulous program, Mr. Nick? Uh, Governor Greg Gianforte from 830 to about 845 and then City Talk from 9 to 10. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow morning at 6 on Montana Morning.